glad that you've decided to be here, whether you're online or in person. It's so, so good to see you. I, uh, if, if there's anyone new in the room, whether online uh, or here in person, uh, if, if you could please text new to this number that you see on your screen, uh, that way we can just get connected with you. And the same goes if you're joining us again, if you could text your full name to that same number. So let's stand now and worship the Lord.
invite the presence of the Lord tonight. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, uh, Lord, that your presence is with us wherever we go. Father, the steps that we take, we, we know, Lord, are, are ultimately in your hands. And so, Lord, we, uh, Lord, we surrender our hearts, our minds to you this evening. We surrender our, our hearts and our minds to your spirit, which is here with us, Lord, within us. Lord, that you've chosen to dwell within us. Lord, we're thankful for that.
Father, we love you and we thank you so much just for meeting us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. I feel like kind of saying, boo. That was funny, come on. Um, as we are in November now, what we're focusing on for this next month, every week through our serve projects and also through what we're gonna be talking about um, during this time on stage, is giving thanks and giving back. Two things we wanna really focus on this month. And a verse that came to mind today when I was thinking about offering and giving thanks and giving back was Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I love this because there's such a tie between what we give to him and what he gives to the world and to each one of us. And as we go to offer our offerings this week, keep that in mind. But also keep in mind all the wonderful things that you are doing through your offerings and through this church in our community and around the world. Just last Saturday, we had a bunk bed build for Sleep in Heavenly Peace, where we built 40 bunk beds so that children who currently do not have beds and are sleeping on floors and couches in our community can now sleep on a mattress on a proper bed in their homes. And so we thank you for participating in that, either physically or through financial contributions. So thank you for that. And as we're moving forward, we're giving back in so many ways this month. We have a food drive going on for community services leagues to help provide Thanksgiving dinners to those in our community who are unable to provide one for their own families. We are doing a food packing event later in November where we are, have a goal of packing a couple thousand meals to be sent to stay actually right here in the Kansas City area and feed homeless and at need people. And then we are also having other activities. So please go to the website, see the many ways you can serve this month and give back. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Uh, it's great to, to be with you here, those of you joining us online as well as everybody in the room as well. Hey, before we get into this message, I, I'd like to have a prayer. I'd like for us all to join together as we pray for our, our elections this Tuesday. Would you join me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we have some hugely important elections in our country happening we ask for your help. We ask for your watch care during these elections. We pray that leaders would be elected at the national and the state and the local levels that would best represent your purpose and your intent for civil government, protecting the rights and the safety of its citizens. Father, we pray that you would help each of us to cast intelligent ballots that express our love for you and our love for our country. Father, we pray for safety and civility during and after these elections. We thank you for our law enforcement officers. We ask for you to care for them and watch over them, and we pray for them to fulfill their God-given role of maintaining law and order in ways that are respectful and honor you. Father, we pray for our newly elected leaders that they will be enlightened by your wisdom so that they will help to direct our country on a path where we're able to live in godliness and peace. Father, we pray for healing, for justice, for unity, and, and a coming together of our country. We seek your help. We seek your grace and your Holy Spirit. As your church, may we point others to you by being good citizens who are known by our love. 
Father, your word says that no government is put in place without your sovereign permission. And so we ask for your help for the United States of America in this most important week of elections. And we pray this together in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Well, as we continue in our study, we're, we're going through the New Testament letter, James, and we come to the first part of chapter 2 of James in this message where, where he, he writes about not showing favoritism. And I want to begin, if, if you're on Facebook, I'd like for you to comment on this question and, and those of you in the room as well to think about this. With what group did you identify with when you were in high school? Think back to that, you know. I, I know in my high school, we, we had, you know, the, the athletes, we had the, the band people, we had the drama club, we had the choir people, we had the future farmers of America, we had the, uh, the loners and the stoners and the in-group and the out-group, the acceptables and, and the unacceptables and just all different kinds of cliques and groups. And I'd like for you to think about, you know, when you were growing up, maybe you had a similar experience that I can remember as well, that, that at recess or at PE class where you'd play kickball or you'd play dodgeball or something, and the kids would pick the teams. You remember that? And so the best athletes would get picked first and then, you know, on from there. And then often it was just the, the same, maybe last person or two every time that, that would get chosen. And, and I don't, do, you, do you remember something like that? I... I remember that many times growing up and, you know, from, from the time we are very young children, we begin to learn how to discriminate. We, we begin to define, okay, who's in the in group and, and who is in the out group. And it's this secret kind of justif uh, or, or classifying and prejudging that James writes about in the second chapter of this letter. It begins this way, verse 1 of the chapter. He writes, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. And so he's writing here to believers, and, and, and that's so important for us to remember as we go through this letter. He, he says, those of you who follow Jesus, th this one that you follow who, who emptied himself, th this one that you follow who all his life long knew what it was to be in the outside group, who, who, who knew what it was to, to be excluded. Th this one who, who from, you know, throughout his life knew what it was to be in, in the wrong class, that it, it was no accident that when Jesus came to the earth that he, he was born into a working class family, not, not into a family of of prestige and, and power. It, it's no accident that, that Jesus, as an adult, would say this about himself. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head because he lived as one who was homeless. And it, it's no accident that Jesus did not graduate from one of the, the respected, you know, schools of religion in that day. Even though he was God in the flesh, Jesus left all of the glories of, of heaven and humbled himself and emptied of himself that he might come and bring with him this revolutionary kind of love for, for all people, but I think especially those that were, you know, in the margins of society. And so James says, those of you who follow him, those of you who follow Jesus, there must not be favoritism within you. This word favoritism comes from the Greek word which means to receive the face. And the idea is that, that you receive someone based upon their appearance, based upon how they look, rather than looking beyond that to, to who they truly are on the inside. The Bible talks about how we human beings, that we, we look at the outward appearance, but God will look at the heart of a person when he sees them. Favoritism is what causes us to keep these secret, unpublished lists in our minds of who, who's in the in crowd and who's in the out crowd, who, who are the acceptables and who are the unacceptables, who, who are the desirables and the undesirables. 
And James is saying in this first verse that attitudes and actions that, that express favoritism, they, they must be exposed, they, they must be confessed, they must be brought before God and repented of and, and changed. And then in the next several verses, he helps us begin to really examine our hearts in this way as he tells the story about two people, two different people who come into a meeting of a church, say a worship service. Let me read to you verse 2 through 4. James writes, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So apparently this first guy that he tells in the story is, is a guest of the church because he doesn't know where to sit and he comes in and the usher comes over and just gives him the royal treatment and gives him the prime seat there in the room because he, he sees that he's a wealthy person. And then the next guest that comes in is, is sort of shoved over to the side and, and treated with indifference because it's assumed that this is a poor person. And in verse 4, James says to act in this way goes far deeper than just preferential treatment. This is this is a matter of discriminating. This is a matter of, of evil intent and thoughts in the heart, in judging. And then he goes on in verse 5, and he says, actually, it's the poor person that comes into the worship service that is more likely to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ into his or her heart. A wealthy person is uh, more challenged with trusting in and putting their hope in the material possessions that they have that they have while it's the poor who is usually more aware of their powerlessness and their their need for God and then in the next couple of verses six and seven James points out how some of these wealthy people that were being catered to actually had had been the same people that were exploiting and and oppressing others to, to gain that economic advantage. And, and that's the, the ironic thing about favoritism. We, we can end up showing preferential treatment to somebody because of, of some perceived advantage that, that we think that they have, when in actuality they may have gained that advantage through exploiting and mistreating others. But then James comes in verse 8 to the antidote to favoritism. Let me read the verse to you. He says, if you keep, really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. He says, when, when you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not just merely hearing the Word of God, you're doing what it says, which is really the big idea that we have in James, that he comes back to again and again, that, that our faith and what we believe must come together with our actions and deeds if it is to be a genuine faith. In fact, that, that'll be the whole message in the next part of the of the series here next week. And, and we know from stories in the scriptures that God's definition of neighbor, such as when Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan, that his definition is, is all-inclusive, that, that we are to see and we are to value everybody in this way as our neighbor. And then James concludes this part of the letter in verse 13 where he, he writes about how mercy triumphs over, over judgment. And mercy is this, this really revolutionary kind of love that Jesus brought from heaven to earth. Mercy says, let, let me help. Mercy goes beyond saying, I care about you, I'm concerned about you, to saying, let me come alongside you and let me assist you and let me demonstrate the care and concern that I have for you through my actions. That's mercy. Mercy is the opposite of favoritism. Favoritism looks at the face. Mercy looks beneath at the heart. Favoritism says, how can you help me? Mercy says, how can I help you? Favoritism is self-centered. Mercy is, is others-centered. And so I just, church, want to ask you a very personal question as we open our hearts up to God. How do you show favoritism? You know, I had an experience recently where God you know, revealed to me that I, I had prejudged someone. And, and that's what discrimination is. It, it's, it's to form an opinion of someone without due examination. 
And I, I had been asked to minister to somebody, and I, I wasn't in a very good frame of mind, and I, I was kind of doing that grudgingly. And then I overheard uh, something about how this person had achieved something, uh, they'd accomplished something, and I just kind of like perked up, and I was like, you know, kind of this, their steam in my eyes kind of grew, and I was like, oh, I, I, I want to do a really good job here of ministering to them. And then I, um, I thought about that, and I felt convicted about that, that change of attitude that I had. Why, why was that? I mean, what, what difference did it make if this person had achieved something or not achieved something? They were my neighbor and very worthy of me giving my very best in ministering to them. And I share that with you because I... I believe that if we will examine our hearts at a deeper level, we, we will see that, that we have our favorites. And, you know, some of our prejudices are quite lighthearted and really don't hurt anybody, like, you know, um, KU fans versus MU fans versus K-State fans, you know. It's uh, not a big deal. I mean, of course, MU fans are better than the others, but not a big deal. But <laughs> country music fans, rock and roll fans, and, you know, et cetera, the, the, this kind of idea. But there are far more serious prejudices that, that, that lurk beneath, you know, the surface of our hearts that need to be exposed by the Holy Spirit in a way that are, are confessed and repented of and, 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 and removed and replaced with love. And God's dream has always been that his people and his church would be that group, that people, that, that place where anybody is warmly welcomed and received and valued and where there is no favoritism. You know, some parts of the Bible, as, as we read them, we feel affirmed, we feel encouraged. And I would just say, this part of James, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put there, <laughs> that if we are, are open before God, this can be a very challenging passage of Scripture for us in examining our, our hearts and our, our minds. If you are committed to not just merely listening to the Word of God, but doing what it says, I'd like to share with you two things that I feel like will enable you and enable me to, to, to be able to love, better love everyone. And the first one is this, to identify who is in your out group, who you would say would be in that out class, that out group in your heart and mind. And we're going to put a list of characteristics up here on the screen that I want to go over with you because these are kind of identifiers and, and ways that we tend to discriminate in our minds and hearts and, you know, either who's a part of our in-group or crowd or who's a, in the out-crowd and group. And so let me just go over these with you. And the first one is one that is very at the forefront of our country right now is, is race. And we have begun a, an initiative here in the church intended to really help BSCCers just love across racial lines and really be a light, the light of Jesus in this way. And, and really, this, this initiative centers around three areas that, that we would educate ourselves, that we would, we would seek God about how he would have us to advocate for those who are oppressed, and that we would celebrate the racial diversity that God has provided for us. And so, uh, if I would encourage you to reach out to Tom Worstel, our Minister of Engagement, if you'd like to learn more about this initiative. Race, religion can be an identifier of discrimination for people. Politics can be an identifier. You know, I, I was listening just recently to a minister that I just have such high regard for, and he was doing a message to the church there where he's at, and he, and he, he, he called the message, uh, was entitled Church and Hate, and I thought, well, that, that's an interesting title there, and he began the message talking about how, you know, everybody right now is just politicked off, and I, that was a new term for me, 
but that, that can be one. Education. So, some people discriminate toward those who have a lesser education than they do, and, and others discriminate toward those who have a more education, but that, that can be an identifier. A, uh, age is another identifier. You know, get, you've got the builders and the boomers, and you've got the, the Gen Xers and the millennials, and then the Generation Z, and there can be discrimination. You know, older people discriminating toward younger people, and, but then also younger people can discriminate toward those who are older. Gender can be an issue of discrimination. Marital status can be an identifier as well. Sexual orientation can be an identifier that just triggers hate and discrimination. Appearance, maybe, you know, how tall somebody is or how much they weigh or whether we think someone is attractive or not could cause us to play favorites or discriminate. And then socioeconomic status as well can be an issue. I mean, this is the one in the text that we're looking at from James that, that we read about, that those who are rich can make negative assumptions about those who are, are not wealthy and then, you know, those who don't have as much resources make assumptions about those who are rich. But these are just some of the issues upon which people tend to discriminate. And, and maybe you, you have another category that comes to your mind. But I just want to ask you in love, who tends to not be your favorite? Who do you tend to not include? We, we need to come to a place of honesty and a place of acknowledgement about these secret kinds of favoritism that that reside inside of all of us to come to a place of repentance and a place of confession about it. James writes in verse 9 of the, of the chapter, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Favoritism is a sin that really violates the greatest law that God has given to us, the, the law to love one another as he has loved us. It's, it's not a small or unimportant matter. It, it, it is a sin that needs to be brought out into the open, repented of, eliminated uh, from our lives. Now, what, whatever favoritism or prejudice we struggle with often can be traced back to our upbringing. That, that if you grew up in a home where mom or dad belittled somebody because of the color of their skin or because of their gender or maybe because of their socioeconomic status, that unfortunately the kids there's a, a, a strong chance they're going to, you know, be tempted to, to develop that same type of attitude. And then I would say peer. Peer pressure is another main contributor that if you want to be liked by a particular group of people and they have their favorites, that again, you're going to be tempted to adopt that same attitude. Here's a big question I think some of us ask. We ask, you know, isn't it okay to just be tolerant? If, if, I'm, if I'm tolerant, I kind of generally accept everybody. Isn't, isn't that okay for me to just hang out all the time with people that are, you know, the same as me in terms of their life stage and their socioeconomic status and, and uh, you know, their faith and their race and just, you know, people that I'm, I'm really comfortable with, is, is, isn't that, what, what's wrong with that? Isn't that okay? You know, I think James, I think he would say to us that we would do well to remember, you know, what the kingdom of God is going to be like forever in heaven and what God desires his kingdom to be here on this earth as well. And so, John, I want to just share with you as he has this vision of heaven, what he writes in Revelation chapter 7 about it. After this, he says... I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And so those gathered around God and around his throne there in heaven will be from every people group and every nation, and it will include those who were wealthy here on this earth and, and those who had very very little here on this earth, you know, th those who were married and, and those who were single, Republicans, you know, Democrats, the educated, the uneducated. I mean, 
all will have a place together before the throne if they have received the gift of God's grace through Jesus Christ here on this earth. I, I like the way that Professor Henry Higgins describes this as he explains it to Eliza, this young woman that he tries, is trying to educate in the story that became the movie My Fair Lady. Let me just read this to you. He says, this, the great secret, Eliza, is not having bad manners or good manners or any other particular sort of manners, but having the same manner for all human souls. In short, behaving as if you were in heaven where there are no third class carriages and one soul is as good as another behaving now on earth as if this were heaven that that is how we go about replacing favoritism with God's royal law of love and so as we identify who we secretly have in our in our out group and we repent of that then I would say a second thing that I think can contribute to you and me just eradicating this sin of favoritism and discrimination from within our hearts is this, that, that we determine to become intentionally inclusive. You know, I read about a church that decided they were going to reach out to a college campus right across the street from their, their building. So they printed up flyers and they distributed them all around the campus and some of the church were, were skeptical about it, but the next Sunday as the service began, they looked around, there wasn't any of the, the college students there in the room with them. So as they, they, they sang their, their worship songs and then the, the pastor got up and began to teach, but then the door opened and a young man came in. And it was one of the college students. He had you know, some tattered jeans on and a t-shirt and he just kind of looked around and nobody scooted over nobody really made any room for him and so eventually he just he just walked down the center aisle all the way to the very front of the sanctuary and just plopped down right there in the, on the floor the preacher wasn't really sure what to do about that so he just kept on teaching and after a few minutes one of the elders got up and began to walk down the aisle there and some of the church were like well, it's because about time somebody in leadership went on down front and, and told that young man that that's an inappropriate place to, to sit in the worship service. And so as the elder then comes down to the front there, down the aisle, without saying a word, he just sits down on the ground right next to the college student and remains there through the rest of the service. See, I, I love stories like that because they illustrate for us what Jesus Christ would do because Jesus is the most radically inclusive person who ever lived that Jesus had just this incredible unique way of seeing and valuing everybody like the blind beggar who was irritating everybody by, by, because he kept calling out over and over again for Jesus irritating everybody but but Christ or that tax collector that everybody hated because he was a cheat, he was so, so greedy, he decides that he's, he climbs up in this tree so he can try to get a glimpse of Christ as he passes by and you know, Jesus stops. And then there's that soldier who comes with the group to arrest Jesus and he suffers this injury to his ear, you know, and Jesus steps in. Heals it. He just saw and valued every person in ways where he, he never, ever stopped loving people of all different sizes and shapes and races and religions. And I mean, there was no favoritism within him. What would be required of you and me to become more intentionally inclusive? Well, one idea that I'd like to share with you is just to reach out and have a conversation with somebody this coming week that's, that's quite different from you. And just reach out and be kind and learn a little bit about their life, ask some questions, learn about their background, their culture. Invite somebody to lunch that you would not normally spend time with somebody that's not in your circle of friends. These kind of ideas when you find yourself in social settings, look for somebody who is, you know, isolated, that, you know, that there's nobody 
that they're in conversation with, and you be the one to walk across the room then and say hi and, and uh, strike up a conversation with. But if you determine to become intentionally inclusive and you pray about it and you, you live that way, God will bring the opportunities to you. I want to close the message by just taking some time to invite God to examine the condition of our hearts. Will you join me in that? First, I just invite you to admit to God who is it that you tend to exclude? Is it an individual or maybe a group of people? Who is in your, on your out list, would you say? Who maybe you made comments about, sarcastic remarks about, you know? Just, just confess that to God because he has no favorites. Just take a moment, tell God, you know, I, I repent, I, I am sorry for that. Sin, cleanse me. I just identify who that is, confess it. And then, church, I just, I invite you to ask God to speak to your heart right now in this service and help you identify a step that you could take toward intentional inclusion. Just, just listen for a moment. See if, see if a step comes to mind. Maybe a name comes to mind. Is there somebody maybe you've, you've never had a conversation with? Maybe you live by, maybe a coworker, maybe a person of another race, maybe, maybe a person who, you know, English would not be their primary language, but you could reach out to, you could include. But if God, if God has given you an idea or given you a name, seize that, commit to following through with that step of intentional inclusion. You know, anytime you and I see somebody that is lonely or, or not a part of the, the in crowd, you know, we, we have a choice right there. We can turn away, we can withdraw, avoid, or we can reach out to, we, we can include. We have that choice whether to respond with God's royal law of love. So, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, search, search our hearts. Test our anxious thoughts. See whatever offensive way is in us and lead us in the way everlasting, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship together. I see his body breaking. I see his fingers bleeding. I see the darkness tremble at the ground below his feet. It's in the darkest hours that they're on Calvary. He was sweetly broken. King. 
Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that you have drawn near to us. And Father, we know that you, you promise to draw near to us when we draw near to you. And so, Lord, I pray daily, Lord, that we can spend time drawing near to you. And Lord, in the same way, uh, Lord, that we can spend time drawing near to one another. Lord, that we may allow no difference, Lord, to separate or help or, or make someone feel empty of the love that we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that that love is full and that, that love is great. And so, Lord, help us to extend that to our neighbors. Lord, help us to go out of our way to love people. Lord, I pray that we would open our hearts and minds, Lord, that we would ask and seek, Lord, that you would bring people into our lives, Lord, that we can love. Father, we, we just pray that we can extend the same grace, the same mercy, Lord, to, to one another that you've extended, extended to us, Lord. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to worship you this evening. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Well, we hope that you just have a great week. Thank you so much for joining us today uh, to worship. We're gonna ask that you would just stay put for now and there's gonna be an usher that'll come and dismiss you. We pray you have a great day. Bye-bye.